Welcome to the Plant Witch Podcast, where we enter together into the web of life in all of its many seen and unseen dimensions. I'm Erin Schrader, owner of the Rebel Herbalist, and it is my honor to hold this portal to the other world. Let's enter, shall we? Last time we talked about the internal process of othering, where we sort our characteristics and behaviors into me, not me, acceptable, not acceptable, and then send those parts of us that are not me, not acceptable into the shadow realm. Well, today we're going to expand on that practice from othering parts of ourselves to othering in the larger world of which we are a part. We are steeped in the effects of millennia of large-scale othering. We have othered whole races of people, genders, religions, ability levels, lifestyle choices, geographical regions, on and on. We're finding more and more dividing lines to other than ever before. Mask wearing, vaccine receiving, quarantine adherence. The experience of living with this respiratory virus has drawn new lines right down the center of our lives. There are plenty of people out there making comments on these divisions, and that's not how I like to spend my time. I look above, below, and within what is apparent. There's a term, otherworld, that I think captures the heart of this matter quite well. When we hear of the other world, this is the world that exists parallel to ours, but is filled with a reality that we cannot fathom. The other world contains the societies of the fey folk, disembodied humans, the spirits of the land, the trees, the stones, the rivers, powerful protective energies, unnamed malevolent forces, like the creatures of the deep ocean, The beings of the other world are foreign and alien to us and sometimes feel sinister or dangerous. I've been studying the paranormal since I was a young child. I've always felt drawn to and fascinated by the other world. What exists beyond the horizon of our understanding? How do these beings and forces impact our lives? Do we need to have fear? I used to be terribly afraid of the dark. The shadows were always moving. The sounds were always louder. It wasn't until I was an adult when I had an experience that changed my perception of the dark. I was standing outside on a moonless night, listening to the night sounds of summer. It occurred to me that this black void that I was looking into was infinitely receptive to the projections of my imagination. I would find whatever I was looking for out there. If I was looking for monsters, I would find them. If I was looking for magic and enchantment, that's what I would see. The night was a mirror reflecting my own intentions. Everything changed for me once I could see the power of my own perception. The other world has been a collective mirror for a fearful and superstitious culture for many generations. The beings of a place are often seen as dangerous, brooding, mischievous. I wonder if these beings, like the nighttime void, 
or the misunderstood and apparently grotesque anglerfish of the deep ocean, are simply mirrors of our own projections and fears. The plant spirits live among the beings of the other world. With the help of a local shaman and practitioner, I learned to travel to visit the spirits of the plants. I've met with and worked with many plant spirits, and I have never found one to be malevolent, even the spirits of the most deadly poisonous plants. In fact, Conia maculatum, or poison hemlock, was one of the first plant spirits that called me to work in the realm of the underworld. I was tending my strawberry patch, and I thought I was pulling out young Dacus carata, or Queen Anne's lace, when in fact I was pulling out hands full of conium, hemlock. Like many plants in the Apiaceae family, the carrot family, the sap of conium is phytotoxic, meaning that once it's on your skin, if it's exposed to sunlight, it can create deep burns and blisters. I sustained a burn on my left hand, and when I realized what had caused it, I felt this numinous quality, like I had been marked or touched by this famous plant, the same plant that was used to poison Socrates. That summer, I started working deeply with conium. A very tall stalk of this poison hemlock bloomed close to my back porch. I watched as it spread its white umbel at almost six feet of height. I felt like it was watching me as I moved through the yard each day. I ordered a homeopathic remedy made from conium and I started working with the plant energetically. This plant took me deep into the other world, but its message was to know myself. The same message engraved at the Oracle of Delphi, the same message that was sacred to Socrates. In order to, tra to traverse the other world safely, we must know ourselves. There's an old saying that the same waters within which the mystic swims, the madman drowns. Knowing ourselves and trusting our place in the world gives us a buoyancy as we move through the disorienting Neptunian waters of the spirit world. When folks start on the path of the wise and haven't learned to know themselves, haven't attended to their own fears and insecurities, the void-like mirror of the other world often projects back to us a hostile and malevolent ecosystem filled with predatory energies that require banishing, binding, exorcism. I do believe that beings exist, like the anglerfish, as part of the energetic e ecosystem that are hideous to our sensibilities and that thrive on chaos. And yet, I think most of the energies we encounter that strike fear in our hearts are really reflecting our own unresolved insecurities and unmet needs. How do we move forward to explore the other world without inadvertently scaring ourselves? I think it comes down to our intention, our energy hygiene, and our quest for personal power. If we approach the other world to gain power over others, we will attract to ourselves beings and entities with those same proclivities, and they will be happy to wield power over us if they can. If we move into the other world with scattered, diffuse, ungrounded personal energy, we're likely to have forms of energy contamination from the thought forms and vibrational frequencies of the beings that we encounter, whether they're embodied humans or disembodied spirits. The outcome is the same. This is the work of magic, and coincidentally also the work of preparing ourselves to become wise elders in our communities. 
In intact cultures, all of this knowledge-seeking, study, meditation, spirituality would be undertaken with the goal of caring for our community, making us better healers, helping us see where the reindeer are moving, giving us the intuition to know when winter will be exceptionally harsh so that we can move camp or prepare greater stores of food and medicine. Our gifts meant survival. Today, we mostly use our gifts for our own personal power and material gain. In cultures that valued the health of the group, this kind of hoarding of power and material goods was considered a psychosis. There are Native American cultures, I believe the Cree and Algonquin are one, that have used a word for this kind of mind virus. And the word is Watiko or Wendigo. It's considered a sickness of the mind and is contagious if left unchecked. Watiko roughly translates as keeping the best cut of meat for himself even when he is not hungry. This kind of behavior is undermining to the health of an ecosystem, which thrives on resources being shared and spread. What Robin Wall Kimmerer calls the gift economy of nature. The berry bush provides abundance, which is enjoyed by bears, raccoons, birds, foxes. No one animal hoards those berries. No one animal claims that berry bush for himself alone. This psychosis that we've been infected with has distorted our perception of reality. Paul Levy has written a book called Dispelling Watiko, where he deeply explores this mind virus and how it impacts our culture. When we believe that our purpose is to gather and hoard as much material resource and power as possible, everything and everyone around us becomes a threat. We're paranoid. We clutch our possessions like Bilbo with his ring of power. A darkness covers our minds. This same paranoia and darkness that clouds the mind of our people impacts the way we approach the other world. Our ability to meet and interact with these beings from a place of curiosity and innocence is highly distorted. We are expecting a threat. We are expecting these beings to try and harm us, take our power, inflict pain on us. I've seen many aspiring magical practitioners lose themselves to this paranoia to the point of destroying their own lives with the infusion of power they experience from the other world. In the old ways, there was a huge emphasis on the power of hospitality, of self-giving, providing respite and shelter to the weary and the hungry. This self-giving is the foundation of a mind that understands the value of shelter from the storm, a warm place to rest for the night, a full belly. Most of us have never experienced the prospect of spending the night in the cold as we travel from one place to another. We haven't relied on the hospitality of others to get through a difficult passage. This practice of hospitality, of being ready at a moment's notice to entertain the stranger, creates circuitry in the mind for an openness to the other world. Any being that enters the home could be a god, an angel, an enchantress. To our ancient ancestors, the ability to make not only their home, but their heart and mind hospitable to the other was a trait that was highly valued among all classes of people. This is the habit of mind and heart that I try and cultivate when approaching the other world and its inhabitants. The woman in white who wanders the forest here has lived here much longer than I have. 
She's made space for many generations of human inhabitants on this land. The least I can do is be hospitable to her presence here, in the home we share. When we first arrived here, I felt a presence watching me from the forest. It was suspicious, guarded, thick. It made the air feel thick. I began to offer my hair, my blood, food from our table, harvest from the garden, prayers. I wanted this land and its inhabitants to know and recognize me. I gave as much physical and energetic information about myself as I could. There's a large quartz crystal here on the property, and I would speak directly to it. Quartz is a memory keeper for the land, so I asked the stone to hold my story and the story of my family, just as it holds the stories of all who have lived and moved here on this land. I asked this stone to help share my story with the other beings who live here so that we can coexist together. Over the years, I felt the spirits of this land open to me more. Last spring, I was walking in the forest when suddenly a shaft of light shifted and illuminated a deer trail that I had never seen, despite walking these woods almost every day. I followed the trail and I was led to an apple tree, fully in bloom and covered in honeybees. I stand there and cried. I'd never seen this tree. I had never seen so many honeybees. It was so loud with their buzzing that I felt like I was standing in the hive with them. This tree was being guarded by the land, and I was only shown this area once I had proven myself. I made my heart hospitable to the beings here, and they offered me their hospitality in return. Just like in many relationships, we sometimes make a misstep, and last year I made a big misstep. I had invited a group of practitioners to have an event here on this land, but I never prepared the land ahead of time. I didn't ask permission. During the event, which included loud drumming and singing, the land rose up. My chickens created a huge ruckus and flew into the trees, screeching and squawking. Later that evening, deep guttural sounds emerged from the forest and lights began to move through the trees. I was physically sick for a few days. I had not been mindful. I disrespected the spirits of this place, and they let me know. We are repairing our relationship, but it will take time, and nature moves much more slowly than we do, and has plenty of reason to be suspicious of us. If I was looking for a reason to fear the forest, that would have given me plenty of opportunity to project my mind's images of fear. Instead, I've come to understand that this land has a community of intelligent beings that I cannot fathom, who are not human, who do not follow human rules or logic, and with whom I want to live and thrive. This desire for relationship and cultivating hospitality of the heart and mind is the way forward as we approach beings of the other world as we approach the parts of our own mind and soul that have been othered and cast into the shadow. And it's also the way forward as we heal the dividing lines that have been drawn within our families and within our communities. Our problems are holographic, just as our reality is holographic. The alchemist said, as above, so below. This is also true in the axiom, as within, so without. Everything in this realm is a reflection of everything else. 
Understanding this deeply allows us to read the signs and the portents, the tea leaves, the tarot, the oracle, the call of the raven, and so much more. The divine mind beneath every form and structure on this plane is always communicating to itself through us. And the more of ourselves that we can reclaim, the more whole this mind becomes and the more healed this earth becomes. If you're interested in the wisdom of this ecology and the healing of this mind virus with Tico, I hugely and deeply recommend two books, Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer and Spelling with Tico by Paul Levy. They offer a deep and broad view on how this land can work together, can be healthy and whole in its intelligence, and what's standing in our way and how we can heal that. Thank you for joining me for the Plant Witch Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Schrader. I'm an herbalist, a mother, a holistic nurse, and a practitioner of the ancient ways. You can connect with me between episodes at therebelherbalist.com or on Instagram and Facebook at The Rebel Herbalist. Thank you for joining me, and it's time to come back to life.